Welcome into another edition of the Dana and Victory podcast, only available on musketeerreport.com. I am Rick, and for this edition of the podcast, we are joined by a recurring guest and friend of the program. Mario Mercurio is with us. He's the Associate Athletic Director for Basketball Administration at Xavier. And uh, Mario, we've done several of these now. I don't know how many times we've done it, but uh, I think a lot of the same themes come up. This, this one might be a little bit different than usual because of the state of the pandemic and everything that we're dealing with. But I think we've found the best format for this is to kind of just make it an open forum for the fans. And so I throw it out there on our message board and I say, what questions do you guys have for Mario? What do you want to know? And they just rapid fire. So we've got all types of questions for you for, uh, for you to break down here. And I'm just going to throw them out and, and let you go. And we'll see where the conversation leads us. Sound good? All right, I'm ready. All right. Well, I mean, I think the first place to start is, is with the coronavirus. And it was asked, you know, someone wanted to know, can you give us your take on how the season ending went down? When did you know everything was going to be over? And he said, if memory serves him right, the NBA suspended the season during the Xavier DePaul game. And he wanted to know, did you get word of that while you guys were in the locker room or kind of what, what all was going on that night? You know what? Uh, honestly, it, it felt a little ground zero-esque uh, when we got the news because we were in Madison Square Garden on the sidelines. I want to say I got the news right during intros. Um, one of my buddies was at the game solo. He was sitting right behind me. I was sitting on press row and he leaned over and showed me a tweet and uh, – it was just interesting as, as, as I read his phone, you know, out of the corner of my eye, you see everybody on their phone and you hear that murmur and that murmur wasn't excitement for the Xavier DePaul game. It was like, you know, that feeling of somebody's getting big news. Um, and it just, tra- the news traveled so quickly through that arena. You know, our guys bench in Madison square garden is basically in the front row. I mean, there's no separation. You have students at the end. And, and by the time we got back into the locker room and, and this is just, 2020 for you um all of our guys knew at halftime and and our our managers knew our staff knew that the nba season had been canceled and uh to be in an nba town like new york to be in an nba building like madison square garden where you know the jazz had played just a few days earlier um there were questions at halftime if we were going to continue our game and and it wasn't necessarily anything that was discussed openly in our locker room and and we, we didn't address it with our team uh, at halftime or anything, but uh, it was just to be there was just kind of one of the interesting elements of the whole process. Uh, obviously, we didn't like the result, and uh, you know our uh, our tournament run was very short. We went back to the hotel. We got very lucky in terms of uh, if there was one benefit to that loss was that when we left Madison Square Garden, we booked our charter home for the next morning at nine a.m. Uh, it got pushed back a little bit, and I think we wound up took a, taking off at noon. But as we were on the runway at Newark, uh, that was like that 15-minute flurry of all the conference tournament cancellations. And, and from a logistical standpoint, it, what you realize is um, in all those conference tournament cities, you have 8, 10, 12, 14 teams that are just stranded, all trying to leave and go home at the same time, and you only have a set number of charter planes to get those teams home. So we were back on the ground at – you know, probably one o'clock, uh, landed at CVG. And then on the bus ride from CVG to Cintas on that, uh, geez, would that have been Friday or Saturday? Yeah, I, I think it was, it was Friday. Cause I was doing radio that day with Mo. Or it would have been, thir- or it would have been Thursday. Uh, oh yeah. Cause you played on Wednesday, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it was Thursday. Uh, but it was again, like two o'clock and the, and the news came over then at that point about the NCAA tournament being canceled. And it was just, 
again, you kind of travel as a tight pack. You, people like to use the word family when talking about teams. It's like one big extended family. And it was like to experience that all together is, uh, you know, it puts a lot of things in perspective. And it's certainly disappointing to look at your team. Uh, and we got off that bus, which, um, you know, wasn't, there was no feeling that that was going to be our last bus ride together as a team. But you get off that bus and you go in the locker room and Coach Steele gave, you know, kind of the oddest hey, fellas, like, this is it, season's over type speech. Um, and it was hard. I mean, it, you know, if you're Quentin Gooden, if you're you know, Najee Marshall, uh, Tyreek Jones, Bryce Moore, uh, you, you you don't picture your career ending like that. And, uh, it, you know, you always hear that phrase, and it's kind of like you, you let it roll, you know, in one ear and out the other. Like, you never know when the ball is going to be taken away from you. Like, that is the most incredible example of you just never know when a season is going to stop. So, yeah, it was – Felt really bad for our guys. I feel bad for all the teams, you know, that certainly had a lot more of their story left to right and very unfortunate ending. Well, I think, you know, the only thing that's really been talked about to the, this point in the offseason is how weird of an offseason it's been and what everyone's been doing. And, you know, I think Travis Steele has done 150 podcasts now this offseason where he's given the same spiel about how the guys worked on their own and the different uh, – insanity workouts they were doing to challenge each other and all that. And, and that's great, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you to run that stuff back down. So let's bring it to present day. What's the day to day like in the CentOS center right now that students are back on campus and the guys are working out. Does it feel kind of normal again there from a basketball perspective or are your days still pretty weird? No, it's a, it's a little in between. I'll give not only our guys, but all the student athletes credit, like everywhere you look, everyone's following the rules they have on masks. They're being socially distant. Um, there's things we're asking of them that, that we, you could never fathom asking at any other point in life. I mean, we have a limit of four players at a time in our locker room. You know, there's times that they have to come dressed in their gear, which means they're wearing, you know, practice jerseys and stuff to class. And uh, there's just rules that are built around just being as diligent as we can be given the circumstances. And, and quite honestly, I think everybody's bought in and, and really doing a good job. Uh, we are back in the office you know, eight to five, eight to five thirty, whatever it is. Uh, guys are back on the court. We're practicing in small group settings. Um, we're allowed some contact. You know, we the way we kind of scheduled out this summer, not to rehash this summer, we got a little lucky with just the time that we did bring our guys back. I mean, we ultimately knew at Xavier, like, you're going to have a fall semester. You're going to have to bring everyone back, not just men's basketball, but teams are going to come back and they're going to want to lift. And whether or not you're playing your fall sports, you know, we still owe it to the soccers and um, the other fall sports to put them in a position to lift and have, have a training room that's serviceable. So um, a little earlier than pretty much anybody else in the big East, we got our team back and, and kind of started testing some of those practices and not, not necessarily using our guys as test rabbits, but um, working with uh, myself and Susan Lipnicki were in kind of in charge of the department's return to play protocol, Dr. O'Cragley from, uh, Tri Health uh, certainly shepherded the entire effort from a medical standpoint. Dave Fluker, our trainer, but uh, you know we we really tested just our practices with a small group of guys and gals as women's basketball came back a couple weeks after us and uh, used those Ju you know those late June early July weeks to figure out how we were going to handle it. And uh, now we're kind of hitting our stride and we're a little bit farther along than other Big East teams. So. We're, we're, we're actually last week able to play pickup for the first time and get those guys in a five on five setting. And uh, last week was one time. I think we're going to try to increase it by one time a week here to get them up to about three, what they, which they usually are. But 
Yeah, it's strange. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you can't allow it to become a distraction. We've said it since April. It can't become an excuse. Uh, the rules for us are going to be the same as Murray State, or they're going to be the same as Arizona State. Um, the, the team that conforms to this stuff quicker, the team that's more responsible, the team that doesn't let it become a distraction, the team that's smarter and avoids getting guys affected, infected, um, it will be, it's going to play an impact in the, in the win-loss column. Uh, I was going to ask you what the biggest change for your job that's come as a result of the pandemic was, but it sounds like, I mean, if you were basically in charge of the return to play protocol, that sounds like that would be a pretty huge change to your day to day. I mean, there were four of us and, and, and quite honestly, uh, Dr. O'Cragley carried the heaviest part of the load as did Susan Lipnicki. Susan oversees uh, a lot of our student athlete wellness, uh, a lot of elements around that area. And, uh, I was lucky to kind of be included because I think men's basketball being first at bat in terms of being back, I liked having a little bit of say. And uh, yeah, that was a, that was definitely a drastic change. And then obviously everything that comes with just the schedule and how everything's laid out and what where we're heading, um, things I would typically do this time of year or over the last couple of months haven't happened. Well, CBS reported within the last week that the NCAA is considering four potential start dates for college basketball. Those are November 10th, November 20th, November 25th, and December 4th. According to the report, November 25th and December 4th are considered the preferred dates um, with November 25th having a slight edge over the 4th of December. What's the latest date or is that consistent with what you're hearing first of all? And second of all, what's the latest date that you guys could possibly start? You know, that, that is all consistent. Um, there's, there's truthfully, I'll be candid right now. There's no back channel information. Uh, just yesterday, I talked to a coach in the PAC 12 AAC conference USA. Uh, I've tried every day to reach out to five to six other coaches just to see what, what type of hot stove is out there and what kind of scoop is out there and, and, and trying to steal any, any little bit of info we can. But, uh, quite honestly, we are all on the same page. And I, when I say we, I don't mean just my peers in coaching, but you and your readers, I mean, the only difference between what I know and what you guys know is that you, you talk about it on a message board and I complain about it to, over, the, over the phone to uh, you know, other guys in D1. But uh, those are the four dates. And, and we were asked this week to provide feedback to our conference. And, and my biggest issue isn't necessarily with the dates. It's how many games are we playing? Because I, I, I don't care what our first date is. November 10, November 20th, like, who really cares other than the fact that why shift to November 20 and completely disrupt your non-conference schedule <laughs> when it's only 10 days later than November 10th. And, right. and I know I love my guy, John Rothstein and he, he's calling this like the golden, the golden window or whatever. Um, I mean, it doesn't make a huge difference if you're playing in empty arenas or pretty much empty arenas, whether students are on campus or off campus. I mean, you're sliding in the back door, you're going in the loading deck, you're playing a game and leaving. It doesn't matter if there's, you know, 40,000 students on campus or four students on campus. So uh, the bigger question, and this was my response when they solicited feedback, tell me how many games we're playing. Because where I have an issue with dates is if you're going to push us to November to December 4th, as opposed to November 10th, uh, you're cutting 24 days out of our season window. Because all these models that you're talking about would lead to a March madness, not a May madness. If you start in December, you're playing an NCAA tournament in March. So are you going to cut our game total down proportionally if we're starting December 4th? And, and no one has shared that information. And, and my point would be, if you're not going to, and you're going to keep our full game slate and you're going December 4th, uh, 
I struggle to see how that's the smart decision from a coronavirus perspective, because what, what we will have to do is, you know, let's, let's use November 25th for a great example. So that's only 15 days. You're, you're chopping off your schedule. I would lose, we would, we would lose three home guarantee games and we would lose our gavit game, which is slated to be an away game. So if you say, Hey, you still got to play the same number of games. We're going to probably take those three guarantee games and pack them into one weekend just because, I mean, again, your, your, your window is becoming so tight. There's no other way to do it. Uh, so you're having like a little mini, I don't even call it a tournament, but an invitational type deal over the course of one weekend with those three guarantee level teams. And uh, maybe you provide a forum for team A to play teams, team C if they've lost games outside of their own non-conferences and they can play two hours after we play on, you know, whatever. But uh, uh, that's not the smartest thing to do from the coronavirus perspective. You're not testing, you're not, you know, you're creating almost like a super spreader situation to where if one of those teams has it, uh, you're in bad shape. And, you know, it's like, uh, we wouldn't do anything reckless. And, and as we talk through it, if, if doing that three games in three days really didn't allow you to test and be smart, maybe we're doing three games in six days, but like, what is that doing to your guy's body? I and mean, what is that doing to recovery times? What is that? Is that really getting us where we want to be? And that's three of the four games, the fourth game, the road game for the Gavit games. God only knows what will become of that. Um, let's say they say, Hey, we're going to postpone the Gavit games by a year. You can do whatever you want with that game. Well, that's got to get wedged in somewhere else too. So that only continues to cramp an already tight window. Um, and again, I just think philosophically that works against everything I've been told since April about how we're supposed to protect our student athletes and ourselves from, from the spread. What's the latest date in your opinion that you guys could possibly start and still have a season? I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard January one, I've heard a lot of coaches mention that. Um, but I think that's a conference only model leading to a March NCAA tournament. Um, there's some that talk about January one that leads to a, a May NCAA tournament that just doesn't seem, you know, and that May option just doesn't seem to be in the conversations that I've had, it doesn't seem to be a popular option. And I don't know where, where and who that falls out of favor with. Is it a TV window issue? I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I do know that the minimum number of games you have to play to, to have an official NCAA tournament resume is 14. Um, I've heard scenarios that involve, hey, look, let's just play 28. If we got 20, if we play 28 games, let's play 28 conference games, which creates an issue because you need conference versus conference games to get some comparisons to formulate a net or an RPI. I mean, if everybody just sits in their own conference pod and plays one another, like you could use the eye test, but the, the mathematical evaluators of team resumes won't exist because you're just playing on your own little planet. Um, so I, I, again, we will start and play whenever we need to be told what to do. Uh, January one is the latest date I've heard that's even on any type of map to start. But if it becomes February one and we're playing a tournament in late May, I mean, I, I, I hope something's explored and something's uh, put into play that allows us to just get going at some point. <laughs> well, we'll come back to the, a little bit more of the nitty gritty on the scheduling, but there's a few more questions from the board about coronavirus related stuff. Is there a, I mean, I imagine this is pretty tough when you don't even know what type of schedule you're going to be playing, how many home games you're going to have, but is there a plan in place or being formulated for season ticket holders if games are canceled or fans aren't allowed at them? Yeah, honestly, uh, in April, I'll, I'll give Greg Christopher a lot of credit. You know, he, he, 
was kind of our quarterback in April and, and split our department into up into a bunch of different subcommittees tackling every possible issue, knowing that, you know, just reading the tea leaves at that point, you knew this wasn't going to go away. You knew it was going to impact our season. So we've, we've, uh, Brian Hicks, Brett Sanders, Seth from All for One, you know, they've been, they've been really diving into all things season tickets and fans, what, what, what will happen in that space. And there's plans in place. It's tough to really come up with a hierarchy of how we'll, we'll figure out if, if that number is 2,000 or 3,000, how you get to that number. We've had a company that's come in from the outside that the Reds work with to kind of break down to CentOS Center in terms of just different regulations that the state is using right now about uh, large gatherings. And, and you know, we, we would have to basically uh, not apply, but, but share our model or what we would propose with the county and the city and the state. And all that's certainly in motion. I don't have an answer today. I mean, it kills us to think that we'd be playing any games in CentOS Center without 10,000 however many, 250, I know that number's not what it used to be, but, uh, but whatever our adjusted capacity total is, it hurts to think about playing in front of some, anything other than that. What's harder for you guys to anticipate at this point, the additional costs needed for COVID compliance or the lack of revenue with the reduced schedule and attendance? Uh, the lack of revenue number is pretty, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty easy one to get to. I mean, I, I, I'm not a math major, but zero times zero <laughs> that's, that's that's not a good number. Uh, I mean, if you don't have any fans, uh, they, our revenue streams are all well known. I mean, you're you're talking about ten thousand plus seats for seventeen, eighteen, or nineteen games a year. Uh, you're talking about TV revenue, and then you're talking about you know other. I don't want to call them small streams, but comparatively to looked at to the to the attendance number is they're small. Um, so if you're playing a season, you know, let's say we start on November 10th and you're playing a full slate and there's no quote unquote bubble and you're just going, you know, road trip out Indiana, 20, you know, 10 non-conference or, or 10 conference road games and you're playing, paying to fly, paying to stay, paying to travel. Um, those numbers get very scary if you look at that overall picture without fans. Um, so to the point of the second part of that question, that number is, everybody here could probably do the math on that and, and probably feel the same way. Uh, the first part about COVID, I do think that number is getting better. Uh, cost of the, the cost uh, attached to testing is going down. Results are coming back quicker. Uh, I do think as we get more into game mode, uh, more people in our party will have to be tested. Right now we're testing our student athletes and we're testing our staff who, who is with our guys every day. Um, our manager crew, God love them. I mean, we have a pretty big group of student managers. We've basically designated only about four or five that are, that are on the court managers. And the rest of those guys are kind of uh, split from our team. You know, even our building, our CentOS center building, it's, it's five store, it's five floors. Uh, the event level, the first floor, which is where the court is, um, is its own Island, you know, our players. And, and this is the stuff you hate because, Going back to Skip Prosser, it's like you, all these coaches beg our guys, come to the offices, pop up to the office for film. You know, you want to see guys on the fourth floor. Um, we had to make the choice to kind of shut that down because I don't want if our secretary on the fourth floor gets it and tests positive, I don't want that to compromise what we're doing downstairs as a team. And, you know, if Dewan Odom had been upstairs on the fourth floor and we find out, God forbid, Jody, our secretary has it, you know, are you contact tracing and, and 
retesting Dewan and retesting our whole team? And does it give, you know, does it increase it 1% of a chance that one of our guys gets it from somebody else that isn't in our quote unquote team bubble? And, and listen, as you're on a college campus, with college campus, which is now crowded, it, it feels a little bit excessive. Um, but when we were in the summer months, July, August, and it was just us and kind of some people around Centa Center, I thought it was a good step to really uh, minimize exposures. So uh, that testing number, we have a pretty good feel for it. I think it'll be, you know, it won't break the bank, but it certainly isn't something that we wish we were spending that type of money on. Uh, I mean, do you think that stuff will make you change how you have to operate for a season or is that not, is it not that dire in terms of one year? And by that, uh, that by quote unquote that stuff, do you mean testing? Well, just e- either or. I mean, the the lost revenue from uh, attendance and fans, and the potential money you're going to have to spend on testing, will that change? You know how you travel or anything like that potentially? Yeah, I mean, again, I, it's hard because we charter, and and that's not because we were spoiled. I mean, you charter for a purpose, and I've discussed it on this podcast before. It saves your legs. It increases recovery time between games. It allows you to get back for class. Um, so let's say, okay, how do you, how do you uh, decrease the costs attached to chartering? Well, you fly commercial, which, you know, can't, can't do, do that you really want to do that in December of 2020 yeah. when you're trying to avoid, you know, exposure to coronavirus? Probably not. So that's, that's probably an expense you can't change, you know, hotel meals. I mean, you can't change that. Uh, everything, I don't want to say is what it is, but it, everything is what it is. There's no, there's no fluff for crazy stuff we spend money on that it's like hey let's just cut this for a year um we have a generous budget and we have a, a, a lofty approach and we've always wanted to you know uh devote every resource we can to men's basketball and the success attached to it but um it's hard to it's hard to cut too many things tied to it um i think our travel party will decrease i think again you, you've you've seen us on the road and you know how we travel. We'll take social media guys. Eyes are bring an assistant. You're bringing extra trainers. You know, there's probably things like that tied to personnel, just again, minimizing the people around our guys that we would adjust uh, to be smart there. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's the product is what it is. Our approach is what it is. Uh, you need certain personnel for games. Um, so it, it's hard. It's hard. Other than the fan piece, there's not a lot of variables that you can adjust to rapidly attach to this. I think a lot of the fans are worried, not just about not being able to come to games, but the lack of access overall, whether it's uh, less media coverage or them not being able to go to Musketeer Madness. Are, are there thoughts of things like live streaming Musketeer Madness or holding a Musketeer Madness um, or anything else to give fans more access during this time? Yeah. And again, I'll point to that April conversation we had as a department. I mean, we've talked about this since April. Um, we, we, we are completely aware of all the fan engagements that we've lost over the last six months. I mean, it kills me that we had to cancel day camps. And it's funny. It's like, I've had so many people over the last however many years come up to me and say, man, my first exposure to Xavier was day camp. And I was there in the fifth grade team. I played for the Sacramento Kings. Will Cottle was my coach. It's like, uh, Around Cincinnati, that's always been the thing. I remember in grade school, it was like, are you going to UC's camp? Or are you going to Xavier's camp? Or are you going to Moeller's camp? I mean, uh, NKU's camp is who you're trying to think of. NKU's camp. Yeah, big one. Go. You know, um, little things like that. The Butler County Steak Fry, all the all-for-one all golf outing. I mean, you take those those little points for granted. Um, and when you have them pulled out of your, your calendar, it makes you realize, you know, you – 
other than, than this type of engagement here with you today, it's like those touch points aren't really there. Um, so Musketeer Madness is obviously that first big one. Uh, and, and I, it's, it's certainly being discussed. You know, I, I kind of have a rule when it comes to all things external, I don't want to do anything that's not great. Um, if we're going to start a venture, if we're going to do something that we've never done before, it has to be done really, really well. I don't want to produce anything that if you're a recruit in Atlanta, Georgia, in the class of 2023, and you see it, I don't want it to look Bush League. I don't want it to come off as mid-major. So having like just a, you know, again, we have great equipment and we have great people behind the cameras, but having two cameras shoot a slam dunk contest in an empty arena, it's like, man, is that really, is that really what our brand is? I know this year is different. Uh, even if you have Herb in there calling it and you got great music and lighting in the background, it's, it's, you know, what are those, what are those production pieces that are typically tied to something that we do? Uh, and can you carry them over in a setting like that? And then again, you talked about cost. There's cost to that. It would probably cost more to produce a two hour Musketeer Madness YouTube show than it would our in-person Musketeer Madness as crazy as that sounds. Um, so it's being talked about again. I'm looking at my computer bottom right here. It's September 1st. Musketeer Madness is probably on the calendar 40 to 50 days away. Uh, man, well, probably closer to 50, but uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're at a point where we're going to try to make a decision and we'll communicate it here relatively soon. All right. Uh, I want, we kind of broke this down into segments in terms of the rest of the questions. And I want to get back into the scheduling stuff here. Um, a few moments ago, you were talking about it, and it sounds like you, I mean, obviously with the dates that are being discussed by the NCAA, November 10th, November 24th, it sounds like there's some belief that a non-conference schedule and buy games are still a possibility. Do you think there's a, there's a good chance that you guys will play a, a normal non-conference slate this year? Uh, you know, again, I'll go back to the point I mentioned earlier. I know nothing more than what you know and what you've heard. I mean, when I see that November 10th would be an option, I'd wonder what the heck you'd want us to do for, uh, you know, all the way through March, if, if we're not going to play non-conference. Right. Um, you know, it's just odd because you hear uh, these, these like broad assertions of, Hey, the non-conference will go away. Uh, or, or as I mentioned earlier, Hey, we're going to play 28 conference games. Uh, I, I just don't know from a contract standpoint, how that happens. I mean, I have nine, 10, whatever signed contracts with non-conference games or events. And, and, I don't know how I call Greg Campy and say, Hey, look, I know I owe you this huge chunk of money to come and play us. Greg Campy's the Oakland head coach who we're playing in a bye game. Uh, but we're going to play all conference games this year. You know, like to me that I'm not an attorney, but that doesn't look like force majeure to me. That's not an act of God. That's the big East saying, Hey, we're, we're going to cancel your non-conference and we're just going to play all these conference games. Um, in a year where we've talked about revenue, I, I, I can't cut, cut a check of that size for a game we're not going to play. Um, so I, I don't know who, who is going to have like this magic wand out there to allow for non-conference to be erased. Now, if you, if you, from an official standpoint, start your season December 4th, uh, I could see where force majeure and you could point to kind of some greater, greater beings that would be involved to those games before December 4th. That might allow you to say, look, I can't play you guys. Then we'll, we'll reschedule this next year. But um, yeah, that's a dicey, that's a dicey area of this whole mix. Um, we've been fortunate. We, we had no Ivy league opponents scheduled. We had no PAC 12 opponents scheduled. So we've missed those two bullets. Um, but I just think as we get closer and closer, as, as teams evaluate resources and as decisions are made conference by conference, uh, 
we may be put in a position to scramble a little bit and try to pivot to, to different opponents or different situations. If I may, uh, I, I, w- I don't want to tell you what to do, but Greg Campy might do it for Skyline Cheese Conies. Uh, last year when he came out for a tip before the NKU game, the, he said something to the ref, and the ref said, you smell like Skyline. And he goes, yeah, I just ate five Conies. That was like five minutes before tip-off. It was unbelievable. I love that. You know, Greg is a great guy, and obviously if you're, if you're a uh, 24-7 Xavier subscriber, you're familiar with a lot of our non-conference schedules. I mean, Oakland has been a familiar opponent, and uh, – it's because of him. He's a great dude. He, he always wants to play in Cincinnati. He recruits this area hard. I'm guessing he loves Skyline Chili based on what you just said, and maybe that explains it all. But, uh, yeah, it's funny. I mean, again, they want to know, when do you think the schedule will be revealed to the public? And I imagine that's kind of just impossible to know right now, right? I think that's impossible to know. I think it's impossible to know. Uh, even if, if, again, I heard today from just some conference rumblings that, the official decision will be somewhere in that September 12th or September 15 to 20 window. Um, the reality is, let's say this, let's say there's word on September 15th from the NCAA. Uh, I then need to know from the big East what we're going to do. Are they going to try to get creative? Uh, do they want to try to play in a bubble or do they want to play again? Rostin keeps talking about this golden window. Does the big East say, Hey, like this is the best time to play these games. We're going to play conference games, November, 25th to uh, December 24th. Uh, that will be the first step after the NCAA makes their decision. But it will be complete chaos on that date when that decision's made because you're going to have every single team in scramble mode to either redo a very large portion of their non-conference schedule or to assess from your opponents uh, that you currently have scheduled uh, if they're able to play and, and, and if their conference is going to allow it. What's your take on the – quote-unquote bubble concept because for one a lot of the when I hear bubble I I think of something different than what is seemingly being proposed which is just a a neutral site event and and from what I've seen Um, and two is that not kind of similar to what you were talking about with a potential super spreader event if you were to host a a weekend tournament or something I think there's a lot of different um, very unorganized bubble initiatives right now. Uh, there are non-conference bubbles being discussed. I'm sure you guys have all seen that. Uh, I'll go back to my point about conference, you know, existing contracts. If there was a bubble in Vegas, uh, that'll, you know, they invited 16 teams and the idea was, Hey, look, everybody's staying at the win. We're putting a court in the ballroom. Nobody's going to leave for a month and you're going to play 12 games. And that's your non-conference. Uh, a, I would move heaven and earth to figure out how we could be in that bubble. Uh, <laughs> you could sign me up for a weekend at, or a month in Vegas and access to the wind course and the wind buffet, which I'm guessing is probably closed at this point because of yeah, COVID. I don't think but, you uh, can do that. But, but you know, it's like, I keep saying it every time anybody asks, I have existing contracts. I can't get out of my contract with Moorhead state to go play a bubble. I without buying those guys out. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see. I, I think there's a couple of promoters that have just wanted their name out there that, you know, from a braggadocious standpoint, want to look like they're, they're, you know, out there moving big pieces and they have, you know, 40 teams fighting to get in this bubble that they've done no research financially on how to create. But I think as you, as you look at them, there's, there's varying levels of, is it a hard bubble or a soft bubble? And, and, you know, as we've talked as a conference about, and you can read it through different reports about bubble options as a conference, it's, it's, do you really need to take all 11 teams or all 22, if you're including women's basketball, to one location and, and quote unquote, shut down and bubble up. 
aren't there other ways with testing to do it a little bit more efficient, efficiently and more humane? I mean, like I just, I, I think about as you just look at travel in the winter months and locking down, you know, it's one thing when you see the NBA and these guys are at Disney and they're golfing on off days and there's pools and there's sunshine. Oh, and they also make millions. And they make millions, you know, uh, the cosmetic, uh, part of my brain that just thinks about happiness and a regular lifestyle really struggles to look at a scenario where you're gone for six weeks in a hotel and you're not leaving. And I worry, uh, the NBA bubble costs $170 million. I worry that there's, there's some models just being looked at and I'm not throwing the big East. I'm not throwing shade at the big East. I'm just saying as, as different people talk bubble, I don't think people grasp what is being done in that NBA bubble. Um, I think there's people that think, oh, you know, you're fine. Like I see how you traveled in the regular season, you know, as guys, reco- you know, for treatment and recovery, for instance, like, oh, they can just sit on their bed in their hotel room. We'll get a Norma Tech boot and, you know, they'll get some STEM in their room. It's like, you're not doing that for a high major conference over the course of 16 games. I mean, like the, the toll that it takes in a normal setting when you're breaking games up by four or five days on these guys' bodies. Um, and that's with them sleeping in their own bed and eating at a high level and, and, being in a much better position from a mental health standpoint to actually enjoy life as opposed to, Hey, Saturday, 11 AM, we're going to go to this arena. You know, nobody will be there. You'll play this game for two hours and then we'll see you in four days. And by the way, like you're not going to leave that hotel for those four days. It's pitch, pitch black outside. Uh, it's 12 degrees. You're lifting in like this ballroom. They've brought the old Nautilus equipment into, you know, it's like, there's a reason that bubble for the NBA was 170 million. Uh, and there's a reason I, I, again, could we do it for less than that? I'm sure. But, but there's a major, major cost attached to it, especially if you're talking a hard bubble where you're quarantining bus drivers, where you're having barbers come in that never leave that sit there. I mean, like there's, there's life things over the course of six weeks that you don't even think of like laundry. I brought it up on our call and it's like, Hey, look, this isn't the, like the ops guy in me that wants to talk about laundry. Like who's doing laundry for 750 people. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I get that you're going to wash our game jerseys. I mean, the response I got was we'll buy a couple of washers and dryers. It's like, oh, okay, that's, that'll work. But uh, so for that reason, I just think realistic possibility of a hard WNBA, NBA, NHL style bubble. Very, to me, it seems very far-fetched. I do think there's a model and our conference is looking at it along with others where, you know, does, do you have Xavier, DePaul, Marquette and Butler meet in Chicago and, and we get there on Thursday and we each play three games and you leave the following Tuesday. And that way it's like you're testing before you go. You got a little mini bubble there. You're not sitting there for multiple weeks uh, and you knock out three games in a quick setting, a little bit like we talked about earlier, it, it minimizes travel costs. You know, I don't have to go travel to Butler, to DePaul and to Marquette. I can go to one place. If fans aren't going to be there, what does it really matter whether or not <clears throat> you're visiting home arenas? Um, you know, so I, I think like that to me seems like a more practical bubble. I think that's gaining a little bit of momentum, but I, I think a lot of that remains to be seen. And again, I, I don't know how much the NCAA will dictate in terms of that to each conference. I mean, I'm sure they'll allow you to do it if you're a conference, but I don't think the NCAA is going to say like, again, one person said the NCAA is going to mandate that every non-conference game will have to be in a bubble setting. Like they're not, I, maybe I'll eat my words, but I just don't see a scenario where they're going to do that. 
Yeah. I, that what you just laid out there, that final scenario, see, that's made the most sense out of anything I've heard so far about how this could possibly work or what an actual college bubble might look like. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, again, I know so much of this stuff is just up in the air and it's, it's tough to answer right now, but I will run down because people are asking about it. What type of communications have you had about the Gavit games? Uh, the Gavit games, I think, are in the same mess as everything else. Uh, I think there's communication conference to conference, but there's certainly no uh, matchups haven't been set. I think I think it's just a wait and see mode, and that's a great example. You know, as we discussed earlier, if they make that announcement on September 15th, you know, it's going to be another thing we're going to have to wait on in terms of, hey, you know, if you're, are we going to try to salvage this thing based on when we're starting? Uh, yeah, it's another piece of the puzzle. So, I mean, assuming, you know, it, it wouldn't happen this year, you're saying the, the matchups haven't even been set yet. So it wouldn't be like a thing where, oh, now they've got to move these matchups to next year or figure out what they do with them. It just, it's like it, this year didn't even happen, right? I don't know. I, I, I truly don't know what they would do. I would hope that they would just shift the grid all over one year. But by the same respects, we're on the road this year in the Gavit Games. And if this game, if this whole year just disappears and next year we get a home game, that, that looks like a big victory for the X. <laughs> Uh, what can you tell us about upcoming early season holiday tournaments you guys might be playing in the next few years? You know what? Intentionally, we've decided not to sign any contracts yet for next year. Um, again, if this all blows up and Orlando goes away and there's an, you know, an attempt to move Orlando's field to next year, I want to keep that option. Um, there's a lot of options out there, especially with the way, and I, I think we discussed it at length last year with the way the rule changed, um, you're, you're moving away from these four team events and, and to some degree, you're probably going to move away from the three game events. Um, I'm sorry. I said four team events. I meant four game events, but you're, you're probably going to see a definite move away from that because you can no longer <clears throat> tack on the home game. And you're going to probably see a little bit of a movement away from the three team or, or the three game event, just because, uh, having the flexibility to play that two game event and earn back that third game and kind of do what you want with it is a little attractive. So uh, that 21, 22 event is, is not set in stone just yet. Uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about potentially teams playing more regional matchups like that. That would be safer potentially for COVID. So I have to ask, it gets brought up every time we do a podcast has COVID finally made the Ohio Buckeye classic a reasonable possibility. I will tell you like we, there are local and regional schools talking. Um, if, if, if our schedule blows up and there's some reason we have to start from square one, you're not going to see us get on a plane. You're not. Um, there's no sense just given the density of the population of schools in this, in this three hour window from Xavier, uh, I have a lot of respect for Oklahoma. We're not going to Oklahoma. I've got a lot of respect for Stanford. There's no reason to go for go to Stanford. Uh, you're going to see a very intentional movement to bear to close games. So I don't know if it'll be the the Ohio Buckeye Classic model that has been thrown out, but but does uh, you know our game against Wake if they for some reason or another can't make it up here? Does that become a game against Indiana? You know, you you might see a shift in that direction because of this. Yeah. The rest of these questions are going to be kind of more generic about the, the schedule overall. But last podcast, we had talked about the lack of flexibility for you when it comes to non-conference scheduling now with the, the conference 
schedule getting bigger and you know you know you have uh, a big 10 challenge game with the gavit games you got the big 12 thing going on um you had the wake forest skip prosser game i mean all these things the the crosstown shootout there just weren't many games left aside from some buy games for you to get creative with do you foresee any of that changing and allowing for more flexibility in the future you know i think you'd have to see the conference versus conference games burn off a little bit um the the big 12 deal was a four-year deal. Uh, the Big East deal with the Big Ten was a eight-year deal. Uh, so those aren't forever. I, I don't know if either will be renewed. Uh, and they're not bad. I, I, I regret, I've been on this guy, I've been the guy on this podcast where there's an excitement around our non-conference schedule. When we were in the A-10, uh, it allowed us to dictate our pace. It was a point of pride. We all worked to put us in a position to play those type of teams that we could create a resume in November and December that got us in the tournament, regardless of the strength of our conference. Um, I miss those days. I miss games like playing at the United Center and, and, and different neutral site events we played in. Um, we were creative. I thought we challenged ourselves. I, I do miss that. But but as you said, you know, you had UConn, you're up to 20 games. You have UC, you have Wake, you have Big 12, you have uh, Big 10. That's 24 high major games. They're booked. You have Wake Forest. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it puts you in a bad spot to get creative and to go that route. And uh, I, I don't know that necessarily we'll ever get back to the A-10 because we were playing 16 conference games at that point too. I mean, you had more games and you had all the flexibility in the world. So um, it's, it's a decent trade. I mean, I, I look at the Big East and what it's done for our profile. What, you know, I know this, I could be the worst schedule in the world and we're going to have a top 50 strength of schedule every year just because of the Big East, uh, especially now that you're playing 20 games and you have UConn. So there's a tremendous benefit to that. Um, as long as you have a good enough team to play, play those type of schedules. But um, so that's, that's a little bit of the trade-off. Aside from it, adding more conference games, what are your thoughts on adding UConn to the conference otherwise? It's, it's a reality check. I mean, I think, I think there's going to be some people that, uh, you know, I'm not going to requote Danny Hurley's uh, comment that he makes when they, you know, I guess they retweet it every time they get a commitment, but like, UConn's a monster now. If you look at their budget, if you look at what they've done, if you look at their profile, uh, they, they are, they have that it factor. They have that brand. Um, they, they are a monster. And, and don't be confused about what you've seen. Your UC fans or your friends are going to tell you that they, they aren't any good and that they, whatever. Mick was 17 and 0 against them or whatever the record was. Uh, they are a monster and, and it's for us, it's a reminder of just where the bar is set. It's a reminder of how hard what we're doing is. It's a reminder of where we need to continue to go. Uh, we got lucky a little bit with when we came into the big East, because uh, if you just look at some of the schools, again, I, I, I would say this to all these schools. Uh, so it's like, I'm not taking shots at anybody, but like Georgetown was a little bit off. Uh, Marquette, you know, buzz, there was a little bit of a coaching change. There was a coaching change there. And like, they just, they weren't necessarily at their stride at that point. You had Seton Hall, you had Providence, uh, kind of reinventing themselves a little bit. Like if you just remember when it was the, the old big East, uh, you know, those guys in the pecking order, uh, it was just, it was, it was blurry. You know, they weren't necessarily their own. Uh, nobody realized the power of their brands. I'll put it that way. Um, the footprint of where they're at recruiting wise uh, and what they were capable of has really been magnified by the smaller conference uh, over the last however many years. Um, and then Villanova, as you know, I mean, I don't even have to say that they are, they're a blue blood through and through. They're, they're one of the premier programs in the country. 
you can't take away anything from what they've done. So uh, we are at a point, this is the toughest conference landscape. This is, you know, our hundredth year of basketball, according to Tom Iser. Uh, this is the year 100 is the hardest conference landscape we've ever faced. And, and it's, that's not changing. All right. They want to know what is your white whale with scheduling, whether it be an event, a team, a location, et cetera. I don't necessarily know that I have one and I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but I, I do think my hands are, our hands are a little bit of tied in terms of um, getting creative and finding those white whales. I mean, again, home and homes with the Dukes and the Kentuckys and the Carolinas are all exciting from a brand standpoint. I think you're going to see some more creativity come uh, attached to some of those exempt events. Uh, we turned down an opportunity and it's an awesome event and, who knows if even if it's even going to happen at this point, but 2021, there's an event in Dubai uh, that'll be first of its kind. And we were invited. I, I want to say, I think Gonzaga, yeah, Kansas and one other team. And then uh, it's a, wow. it's a four, four team event, two games, but you just look at the travel. I mean, it's brutal. I mean, it's, it's absolutely brutal to do that to your guys. Uh, it it would have been hard to do based on where some other things were plopped around it that couldn't move. Um, there's events forming in London. I know Kentucky and Michigan, I think have a contract in London. You know, I, all of us on the fourth floor of Centos Center want to expand our brand and our footprint as much as we can. And I think there's probably nothing I'd say that's like a white whale that, you know, I want to get this game or we want to play this series, but I do think it's, it's, what is that next event or two that we can kind of tie ourselves to that just kind of keeps, keeps us where we want to be. Are there any Atlantic 10 schools you might consider playing again? Um, again, I, I hate repeating the answer. There's not a lot of windows, but I, I, I have, um, I, I mean, I, Dayton is the, the elf in the room. I mean, I know what our rivalry is with Dayton. Uh, I always really appreciate our rivalry with St. Joe's. I know, I know, uh, I know that there's been a pretty big gap between, you know, then and now in terms of that there's not much new history with St. Joe's, but, uh, I always appreciated that rivalry, but you know, I, I talk to those guys a lot in, in a couple of different schools in the A-10, and there may be a time when we could cross paths again. All right, we're going to switch gears here and move to uh, Jersey talk, a little bit of Jersey action. Everybody always wants to ask about the Nike deal and what's next. So what updates can fans expect this year with regards to the jerseys, if anything? You know, uh, updates this year. I think uh, we've kind of teased it a little bit, but our gray is changing back to a lighter gray. We, we dabbled in that darker slate gray the last couple of years. And uh, I, again, I think I mentioned this last year, TV lost their minds because of how dark it came off uh, on the broadcast as opposed to in person. And we ultimately couldn't wear it at home. So what we thought was going to be a home alternate turned into a road alternate. And yeah, just, it kind of, it kind of faded out a little bit in terms of our level of interest and guys excitement about it. So we moved that gray back to the kind of the, that a 10 championship, but uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, that, that lighter gray uh, that you might remember. And you kind of inverted the colors. So I think the numbers are like the swords and, or the, the <clears throat> color of Xavier and the color of the numbers went navy. And I, I like it a lot better. We haven't seen it in person other than the art. Uh, the art is all we've seen, but hopefully they're here shortly. And that'll, that'll probably be our biggest change. Um, last year, I want to say like the silhouette of our white throwback didn't match our royal the Royal one got it. Again, I, I have, my brain's been melted with much 
different issues this summer, but I think our Royal throwback had the older silhouette and that's going to be updated with like the newer silhouette that you saw on the white with a little more updated trim on the short. So those are kind of a, those are kind of a couple of the pieces that'll be attached to it. When is the next big overhaul coming from a Jersey perspective? I'd say, I think we're two years out from it. The Nike tries to keep you in the same, again, I keep using the word silhouette. That's what they call the design. They, they try to keep you, keep you in the same design for a retail purpose for five years and to minimize, you know, they, they have so many schools that they're dealing with across the board. They don't want to redesign Xavier's Jersey every year or so. Five years is, I think, the window, and I think it'll be, I think it'll be two years this year, and then maybe one more in our current style. I think every time we do this podcast, people ask about that Nike contract. So, can you give us the rundown one more time? What is the status of the contract, and do you expect to continue and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, we quietly signed an all-school deal last year, which I think has been great for our teams. Uh, different level of service, expanded access to gear. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things in the progression of Xavier Athletics that was important and, and put us more in line with uh, some of the schools and the spaces we want to be at. You know, I, I think uh, we're crazy about gear when it comes to basketball, but soccer is no different. Cross country and track is no different. They want, they want the same stuff and they want to talk about those things when they recruit. So that's, that was a big move for all of us. Um, so behind the scenes, that was huge news for us in the Cintas center, but not, nothing necessarily that got out and was talked about at a higher level. But uh, specific to basketball, I mean, until we win a national championship, we have the best contract we could get. Um, got great access to things that teams that don't have our level of contract have. And you see, you know, for the shoe crazies and uniform crazies on your board, you, you see the nuances in our stuff that you don't see for teams that aren't at our level. And a lot of custom stuff that our guys like, recruits like. And, um, yeah, it's good. Do you have a say in what apparel was sold in the all for one shop? No, I don't necessarily have a tremendous say. Uh, Brian Hicks, who's, who runs point for all things external, is kind of the conduit to the bookstore and poor Brian, every time somebody asks me on Twitter, I, I kind of respond back and just tell them right under the bus. Yeah. Just say, Hey, let Brian know and let the all for one shop know. And you know, here's a reality. And I, 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 again, I'm not trying to deliver bad news. Uh, Somebody sent me the like the Nike football shoes came out last year for some of the bigger football schools. And, you know, you can get like the Pegasus with the Texas logo on it. And, you know, this is one of those spaces where economies of scale or our size hurts us. Um, when you think of Texas, when you think of Arizona, when you think of Florida and you just do the math numbers wise, uh, the minimums you have to hit on some of these things, it's not in our favor. And, uh, I, I think we've made some progress. I, I, and beyond just Nike, you know, you see us in different places and exploring some of the retro stuff. Um, again, our bookstore isn't, it's not like the bookstore is ran and managed completely by Xavier. I mean, it's a, it's a national brand that runs our bookstore and, you know, we work, we have a great working relationship with them, but they, they also have numbers and business structures that they like to adhere to that. It's not just like, Hey, can I make this half zip running man golf, golf uh, jacket, you know, they get sick of those type of requests, I'm sure. And, uh, but at the same respect, I do know they listen. So if, you, if, if you're listening to this podcast and there's stuff you want, don't hesitate to send it to me. I always forward it along. I think we've made progress. If there's things you want to see, let's, let's all pester the bookstore together and see what we can do. Or better yet, Brian Hicks. Is Brian Hicks a podcast guy? Maybe we should do a podcast with him. Make him. Uh, you know what? He'd be great. He would love to talk about it. Um, you guys could probably come up with a great list of questions for him. All right, good. Well, maybe uh, we'll, do, we'll do that next. All right, let's switch gears one more time here and, and wrap up the podcast by talking about 
some facilities. Um, first of all, something that multiple people asked about, will they ever get to see pictures of the new locker room? Will they ever get to see pictures in the new locker room? You know, we started the locker room last summer. Uh, if you remember, we went to Spain last summer, which feels like, you know, four years ago, and we had an office renovation. So it was all kind of happening at the same time. I'd say it was like 90% done when we started. And then over Christmas break, we probably took 90% to like 97%. And uh, I think the plan at that point was we would reveal it early in this off season, <clears throat> you know, like last March, last April. And, you know, I think it felt a little in bad taste to do it then. And, and part of me still feels like it's kind of still in bad taste. I mean, we would be we would be crazy in April to say, hey, look at this new, you know, one point whatever million dollar locker room as as millions of people are losing jobs and you don't know what the future of anything is. So we pulled back and uh, yeah, I hear you. I, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's fallen between the cracks. We've consciously decided to kind of keep it tight. But uh, soon we'll, we'll get something soon. I appreciate people that want to see it. And it's incredible. They did a great job. Uh, our guys love it. And, and we'll, we'll get you something soon. Uh, what's next on the list for facility upgrades? What's and what's the timeline there? Um, <clears throat> you know, this summer we tackled uh, the third and fourth floor of the Cinta Center. Both have conference space on it. That you know, I know that's not very sexy to talk about, but it's large conference space. It gets rented out all year, and that revenue is important to us. And Greg Christopher, God love him, liked to call it the Country Inn and Suites because it just had a dated feel to it. And it, and it truly hadn't been touched since the Synthos Center was open. And, you know, we've done a great job keeping it clean and repairing any issues, but the, just the style wasn't good. So we did a complete overhaul to that. Um, all that space looks much different, much better. Uh, and those are spots our teams use. We eat our meals in that space. Uh, sometimes we'll use it for film. It, it's been a, it's a great upgrade, and I'm glad we did it. Uh, the Cintas Center got a new roof this offseason, which, again, you're not going to do a mail-out to recruits about that. But after 20 years, you need to get a new roof on the building. And that was, that was a step we couldn't skip. But uh, So those got knocked out this summer. And then uh, next up uh, is going to be a, a practice facility. You know, and I don't want to repeat myself because I know we've talked about it before, but uh, summers at Cintas Center are different than they've ever been. Uh, it's crowded. We have more teams than we've ever had. Uh, again, I – I don't say this as a slight to our other teams. Men's basketball has, has priority when it comes to scheduling, but uh, I want our guys, we want our guys to have absolutely no obstacles when it comes to finding a hoop and practicing and, and shooting and, and getting better in the off season and playing pickup and having the ability to turn on music and have their own space. And uh, it was just time. So uh, I want to say two, it's funny. I just looked at the plans two days ago. We had a meeting about it and, two years ago about this day, we got plans from our architect on it and it's incredible. It would be off the back end of Cintas center. Um, kind of like somewhat attached to our current practice gym. Uh, it would kind of fit between our practice gym and our new weight room. Um, it would expand our weight room. It would add a very small parking garage. It would, uh, I mean, it, it is on paper, the nicest facility that college basketball would have. Um, we're close from a fundraising perspective. We have a little way to go. So if, if Seth, if you see Seth from all for one call you here anytime soon, please, please pick up that phone. But uh, it would be a very, very important step for us to make. And one, one we have to make to kind of keep, keep pace with where we want to be. You mentioned the, the overcrowded Cintas center. What's the schedule on the champion center being finished? Champion schedule center is coming along. Um, 
the timing of that project, we were fortunate just because everything was paid for and ready prior to COVID. Um, there was no stopping it. Uh, so it's been rolling through uh, since March. And uh, a video was shared with us internally today. And I want to say, I think it's been posted to the, the Xavier Athletics uh, YouTube page. It just gives a preview. I mean, again, I remember O'Connor from my days as an undergrad. I mean, uh, the heat in that gym, just the look of that place. My gosh, like uh, to see it now is awesome. And I think we're looking at an, a springish finish to that and uh, it'll be good. You know, there's, there's uh, the Sintas center has taken on some tenants as, as Schmidt field house has deteriorated a little bit that I don't that we necessarily didn't expect, you know, that weight room over there, I think the hope was to kind of minimize the number of teams in it. Um, and, and we've had to add some teams into the mix just because Schmidt field has struggled over the last couple of years. And it'll be good to give, those student athletes from soccer and baseball, their own dedicated space. And, you know, coach Jennings will have the opportunity to buy more sports specific equipment for them that he won't have to worry about fitting Deontay miles on. So it'll, uh, it'll be good. Great, great step for all of us. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but someone wanted to know if there's a possibility of an alternate court, like some NBA teams are doing. And I believe last time we spoke about this, the big issue there was a lack of space at the Centaur center to store it. Right. Yeah, that, that is an issue. I know it sounds like a, an avoidable issue. We've talked to some uh, some off-site storage facilities. Like, I, I, I personally would love to do it. I, I think everybody would love to do it. And I think we all know uh, what that court branded wise could look like with that royal blue and that running man. And man, it would really pop. And it'd be a really cool initiative, especially because I, even I think at this point, you'd still be, if not first, one of the first teams to do it college-wise. I think NBA, it's been a little bit of something that's, that's caught fire and more and more people are doing. But uh, I hope we find a way to do it. I don't want it to become a complete uh, financial drain to where we're paying, you know, somebody 12 grand a year to store this court in Norwood and you're, you know, paying five grand to have somebody pick it up and put it down and pick it back up and move your older floor. And um, it's something that's on the map. I hope we can do it. You know, this year I'm, I joked about Iser and his hundred years earlier, but this is our hundredth year celebration in a more traditional year, I think it would, you know, have fit really well with everything that had been planned around that. So uh, I hope we get to it. What's the latest on uh, an updated scoreboard? I think we're moving ahead in terms of looking at next summer to try to get that done. Uh, I think, I think all things are, are moving forward with that. Now, again, we talked about revenue earlier and, and some uncertainties attached to the financial puzzle, but uh listen, our intention is to come out of this deal better than, better than our peers. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to deal with the financial hits. We're going to, we're going to pivot in some spaces that we can pivot to make the right financial decisions. But uh, man, the goal is the goal. And, and we can't have any of you guys look at our product like, you know, geez, coronavirus has really torn that department up. I mean, we have to stay strong. We know, we know what our obstacles are. We know, uh, we know where the bar is set and that's just another example of something that we, we know has to get done. So I hope it's this, you know, not this, you know, well, I guess this summer's over, but I hope it's summer 2021 that uh, you're seeing that new scoreboard up in the Cintas rafters. Now this may seem like a personal question from one poster, but I, I looked and it got multiple likes. So I feel like maybe uh, several people are dealing with this issue. He says, I have an awful time with Wi-Fi in CentOS. I have a Samsung S10 and Verizon, so not a cheap phone or service, but there's hardly any signal. With all the investments made in technology, is there any plans to upgrade the Wi-Fi? Uh, it's on the list, man. And it's also a big number, but it's certainly on the list. We, we know fan experience. It's, we, we, I've talked about it here. We, we do a survey at the end of the year and, and, 
it's not like those results just get pushed into a file. Nobody looks at, I mean, a lot of people are very vocal about it. And, uh, believe me, if we're up, up by a comfortable amount, I'm the guy who take my phone out of the pocket on the end of the bench and see what some other scores are. And, uh, I, I know the Wi-Fi struggles. I also know, you know, as we deal with social media stuff during the game, I'll have our guys texting me that, you know, stuff that we're trying to post won't, won't get posted. That's even on a private network in CentOS that Rick Roaring doesn't get access to. So, uh, Something we're trying to get better at. But I never have any problems because usually you're reading my tweets when you're over there on the bench with the big lead. So That's fair. My content's getting through. Um, we'll wrap it up with this. They want to know if you, Mario, could change one thing about the CentOS Center right now, what would you change? If you know, there were no money was no obstacle or anything like that, you could just, boom, snap your fingers and it was there, what would you do? It's, I think the scoreboard piece is huge. I do. I mean, it, we have so many talented people that make so like, they make such great content. Um, and none of it can be used on that scoreboard. Uh, again, not to get too techy, but it's like the difference between a widescreen television and your, your old school, like four or three oriented television. Like you make these graphics for social media, they're HD, they're 4k. Uh, and then none of it's translatable to our current board. And, you know, it's like our intro video is always a great project that a lot of people are involved in. And, you'll see that thing and you'll get clips emailed to you, clips emailed to you, you prove it. And it's like, it's up on that board and you, you know, you know what it would look like in other places. And I think that would be a very dramatic change. I think it would completely change uh, the feel of game night and CentOS center. And listen, we have an incredible home court advantage. I love our home court. It's going to be, it's going to break my heart this year. If, if we play these games in CentOS center without fans. Um, but I think that scoreboard, given the content we can put on it and, and some of the idea people we have behind the scenes, I think it'll change everything we do. All right. So here's what we're going to do. That's good stuff as always. Uh, this is the end of the podcast, but I'm not done talking to Mario. We have some more stuff coming, um, including talking about the differences between coaches he's worked with um, Xavier the basketball tournament team, potentially uh, any Atlantic 10 road trips that he misses and some other fun stuff in there as well, but it's all going to be on a premium video musketeerreport.com. So please sign up. If you're listening to the podcast and you don't subscribe, you can find the rest of the content there. Um, but that does it for this edition of the Dane and victory podcast for Mario Mercurio. I'm Rick. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for having me.